everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. Friends, it's good to see you again. For those of you who don't know me, um, I, I, my name is Adam. I'm on uh, on your board. It's part of, it's part of my uh, joy in life to to get to walk with with you guys and with John and Kelly and and the team here to see God do something really amazing in the city of Indianapolis, in and through your church. Amen. Uh, it's been a it's been a really um, uh, fun adventure getting to know uh, them, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of our time together today. But uh, I find you in the middle of this really cool teaching ster- series called Long Story. Short, where for the last few weeks you have been considering the story of the Bible um, by, by taking it all together and, and hitting some of its high points. And today we're going to be considering what happens when God does things we don't expect. When God allows things we would rather Him not allow, and how in the world we are to make sense of that. And in order to do that, we're going to be in the book of Lamentations. And so if you have a Bible, you may open to Lamentations. Most uh, people, as they're trying to read their Bible, I'll uh, wait till, for you to turn there, uh, avoid the book of Lamentations, namely because it's named Lamentations. Um, and I don't know about you, but I wake up in the morning not needing help lamenting. I need help. Like, that's, why, that's why I drink coffee in the morning, right? Like, you know, not have a big kale sandwich because that's disgusting and that would make me lament. Now, for those of you, uh, I come from the People's Republic of Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, where um, when you move there, you're given a yoga mat and a, and a, bunch, and a bushel of kale. And it's the way we sort of virtue signal to one another, that we're, uh, you know, with it or something. Um, but we, we typically want to begin the day, you know, with, with some caffeine, with a delicious breakfast, and with something encouraging, like something out of the Psalms, or at least some of the Psalms, right? Like something a little bit like, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, that's nice. I'm going to fold that over right there, drink my coffee, um, and then go about my day. But what we find in the book of Lamentations, particularly uh, chapter 3, verses 22 through 24, is a meditation on an important theme in the whole Bible, which in Hebrew has this wonderful uh, sound to it, this chesed yada. Can you say chesed? Yeah. The steadfast love the Lord. So let's read. I'll pray. And then God's going to speak to us this morning about this steadfast love. Starting in verse 22, we read this. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. I'm going to read all that just one more time. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. This, my friends, is the word of God. Will you pray? Lord, we love you. We're so thankful for the Bible. We're so thankful for this little leather-bound library that we get to walk around with that tells us the story of God. And Father, we're thankful that we can come to you with our full selves, 
with all of our hopes and all of our fears and even in the midst of lamentation and know that we know that we know that your mercies never cease. They're new every day. So, Father, show us this morning how to walk in new mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in this teaching series, you've been considering, as I mentioned earlier, the the story of the Bible. And, you know, it begins with the story of creation, God making the universe. We sang a great song about it this morning, about how he speaks the universe into existence, billions of stars and galaxies, everything from the very large to the very small, and guides and directs all of history for one reason and one reason only, that the cosmos might be echoing as a cathedral of praise for the glorious goodness of our God. And so, crowning that creation, he creates humans and puts them in this garden that's more than just like a a botanical garden, but a a place, a a beginning of society and and a sanctuary where God would be perfectly with them and they would be perfectly with God. And as you know, that's exactly how things are not currently right? That shouldn't be a surprise to you. You, you know, any, any interaction with your phone or with news media or anything like that should, should pretty well alleviate you of the idea that we currently live in heaven, right? Like, I mean, America's great, really glad to be here, but it ain't heaven. Which takes us to the second story that you touched on, which is the story of the tragic tearing apart of humanity when our first parents said yes to their own inner desires over yes to God. My friend, sin is so much worse than just the bad things you say or the bad things you do. It's when you seek to live for yourself and allow God to be the co-pilot, as it were. You become autonomous. You have a law and a rule unto yourself. And when our first parents did that, they unleashed this Pandora's box of pain and suffering and brokenness all into the world. And you'd think that what God would have done at that point, just three chapters into the story, would just crumple it up and start again. But God is such a good and loving God that he had mercy on creatures, on humans who willingly turned aside and ran away from him, who lied to him, who did not believe him, but instead believed God's enemy. And in so doing, in believing God's enemy, that God was holding out on them, what they actually ended up doing was becoming enslaved. The bait that they were dangled, freedom. Do what you want. Live your truth. Do what seems right in your own eyes. But Biting onto that worm, hook them into slavery, to sin, to the false God, king of this world, God's enemy, Satan. My friends, there's no two ways about it. There's no world in which you are your own boss. There's just a world in which you either serve Jesus or God's enemy allows you to think you're your own boss. But there's no world in which you are as that poem Invictus says, the captain of your own ship and the master of your own destiny. My friends, I wish it were so, but the reality is you are not. And the degree to which you say yes to your own self-rulership is the degree to which you bow the knee to God's enemy. But God, being so good in the rest of the story from Genesis 3 to Revelation 21, is the story of how God is covering his people, what God is doing in his great mercy to love us and extend to us kindness and grace that we might come home to him. And so we read about the story of Noah and the story of Abraham and God establishing a people Israel and God taking that people out of slavery when they were in bondage to a false God king named Pharaoh. Sounding familiar? By decisively defeating Pharaoh, 
And what was the last way he was defeated? By the, the death of the firstborn? And leads them through the waters of judgment into the promised land. But of course, God's people Israel couldn't obey in the promised land. And, and so what happened was they, their hearts became like the nations around them. They were sent there to be a missionary nation. They were sent there to be the first city on a hill, the first city of light, so that all the pagan and self-destructive nations of the earth would flow into Israel and go, your God must be real because we can see him in you. But what happened was their hearts began to wander just like Eve's did and want what the nations around them had, and they chased after the, the Baals, these, these false gods where they would worship them, not by subjugating their own will and submitting to God, but by doing what felt right, doing what seemed right, sacrificing their own bodies, their own children, their own money so that they could please themselves. We look back on ancient paganism with so much highbrow, we would never do that. But my friends, we do the exact same thing. You and I don't burn sacrificial offerings to a little effigy anymore. We just give sacrificial offerings to the God in the mirror. Our hearts are like theirs. And so what happened in ancient Israel was God promised, listen, I'm, I'm warning you. I love you. And I don't want you to be this way, but I'm warning you that if you will not stop pursuing sin Bad things are coming. Judgment is coming. Assyria and Babylon and all sorts of other horrible things are coming from the north, and they're going to judge you. And most of the people of Israel went, nah, you're just being spiritual. The prophets would come. The teachers would come. The priests would come and call the people back to God, and, and most of them ignored it. So Israel was laid to waste. The city of God, the place that God had said a king would, would reign forever, the, the seat of Israelite government, the place where the temple was, the place where, where the ark was, was now in ruins, and they were so confused because they surely thought that you know, we're God's chosen people. It doesn't really matter if we sin. It doesn't really matter if we mess up. It doesn't really matter where our hearts go because, look, God will just forgive us. Look, he gave us a city. I'm sure he's not going to go back on his word, and then God sent judgment, and they couldn't figure out how God was still in charge. Have you ever hit a moment in your life where you could not figure out what God was doing? I have. I've hit a bunch of them. So we come to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations, we think, is written by Jeremiah. We're not sure, but we think so. And it's this really beautifully written but tragic poem about the destruction of the city of God. You read Lamentations 1 and Lamentations 2, and, and it's this picture of the prophet walking into the city, seeing what was once glorious and beautiful, now in ruins and decimation. By the time you get to the beginning of Lamentation 3, he's in the middle of the city, and he's looking around. It's the worst. It's the lowest part. It's the Lamentations 3, 1 through 19, are some of the worst most tragic words that exist in all of Holy Scripture. And right there, in the midst of the darkness, all of a sudden the prophet says to himself, This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. This morning, I hope to alleviate you of a flat, untrue reading of the Bible by allowing you to see that even in the strangest and darkest of times, my friends, God's mercies are never more than one rest away. God's mercies are never failing. They're never stopping. They're never absent. And even in the midst of things that you don't understand, he is there. And if you refuse to see that, then you will have a faith that won't work as soon as you hit the dark. I was having a counseling appointment this week in uh, my second office, which is Starbucks, because we also uh, meet in a YMCA, but our offices are in the basements of a YMCA, and our YMCA was not like this one, built like 10 years ago. Art was, was built just after the end of the Civil War. Um, and so you, you go into the basements, and there's like fossils and no windows. So we try to get out of my little basement office as much as possible. So I was in my second office talking to my friend, and we've been getting together, and he's just walking through a really difficult time, battling depression, midlife crisis, like just a bunch of things coming at him. Loves Jesus, trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus through all of this. And he was, he, he was talking, and he was, he was telling me, you know, Pastor, I just, I was always taught that if I trusted these certain promises, then I would always get these certain results. And I just can't figure out how I trusted these promises, and I didn't get these results. Therefore, I don't think I can trust God. And it dawned on me you don't know how to read the story of the Bible. Because the story of the Bible is not 66 books on how you input certain faith incantations and then this book produces for you certain nice life outcomes. If you think that's how this book works, then you're going to feel great when things are great. You're going to confess. You're going to decree and declare. Hallelujah. Mm. You're going to name and claim. TBN may call you for a show. You know what I'm saying? Like, things are going to go great. However, when things start to wander around darkness and when things take a hard left turn and when you walk through what Psalm 23 promises the righteous walk through, the valley of the shadow of death, you're not going to know where God is because you never trusted God. You trusted your ability to get stuff out of God. That's not faith. And that is not the story of the Bible. This is a storybook of storybooks telling you about the God of the universe and how He has come to rescue humans who have found themselves wrapped tightly in a Gordian knot of the stuff that we've done wrong, the stuff that's been done wrong to us, our external situations, our internal emotions, and all of the ways sin just jacks us up. And then when we look at our own difficulty with it, we sometimes go back to God and say, you must not love me, you must not care about me because this is really hard for me. And he's looking at us going, my son, my daughter, you don't have any idea how much I love you and care for you. My friends, darkness and difficulty does not disprove the goodness of God. It only proves how much we need the goodness of God. So I said to my friend, I love you, and I'm sorry that you're walking through this difficult moment. But you will remain in your difficult moment as long as you have this false understanding of God. Because God is good enough to be in charge of my darkness. And good enough that every day he promises new mercy. New 
mercy, my friend, every day. If, if today is going great, if you're in a season of up and to the right and the paychecks are increasing and your body fat is decreasing and your muscles are increasing and your hair is moving forward instead of backward, like if things are going great, that last one was for me. If things are going great, praise God, you still need new mercy. And if you're in a moment where things are going weird and it wasn't what you expected and you're not where you thought you'd be, you need new mercy. And so I want to show you four facts about new mercy today. And the first is that new mercy comes in the midst of lamentation. Listen to the words just before these really beautiful words. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New mercies come to us in the midst of a time of lamentation. I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to seek God and to trust him for mercy when things are really tough. But I'm here to tell you that there's a reason that in the story of the Bible, one of the most beautiful poems about God's mercy is nestled in one of the worst books about human tragedy. Because God's mercy, new mercy, is waiting for you, even when it doesn't feel like it. My friends, you and I have been taught that your feelings are facts. They're not facts. They're feelings. Do you know how you know the difference? Because we have two different words for those things. That's your first clue. Right? Like, no one goes two plus two equals, eh. Like, it's, it's two plus two equals four. That's a fact, regardless of how you feel. Well, there, there's other facts that are true, regardless of how you feel. One of which is, God is good. All the time. All the time. Amen. God is good all the time. God is good when my family's great. God is good when it is not. God is good when my body is healthy. God is good when my body is not. God is good when our nation is looking great. God is good now. God is good. <laughs> yeah. God is good. Listen. So the real trick is y'all don't know which side I was picking on, and that's intentional. <clears throat> Just whatever your side is, that's the side I was picking on. Okay. Um, New mercies come to us in the midst of lamentation. Don't deny yourself the special grace of receiving mercy in your pain. We tend to think things are hard, therefore God's not present. My friends, there are certain kinds of mercies that can only come to you when things are hard. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pains. We know this. We know there are certain things you can't achieve, that you can't get to without walking through a little bit of pain, a little bit of difficulty, a little bit of tragedy, right? I mean, those of you in here who are, are, have a jacked physique like me, um, you know, why are you laughing? You know that like, there, there's no way you, you build muscle without pushing and pulling heavy things around. Do you know what you're doing when you do that? You're tearing your muscles, you're intentionally hurting yourself. Why? Because there's a kind of physique you can only get to through a whole bunch of pain. Well, there's a kind of thing God's doing in your inner man, in your inner woman, that sometimes you've got to get under the bar and move some heavy things around. New mercies come to us sometimes in the midst of lamentations. The second thing I want to show you is that new mercy comes from the covenant-keeping God. 
The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end, verse 22. Now, this phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord, is one of those phrases you should underline, and then just for fun, go find every single time it shows up in your English Bible in the Old Testament. Because one of what you'll find out is that this, this steadfast love of the Lord, or that chesed yada, that thing, this is one of God's favorite ways to describe his character, particularly in the Old Testament. That he's not like the other gods. He's not like the, the gods who will date you, you know, when, when you're looking good to them and then are going to curse you when you're not. No, no. His love for you is steadfast. It's covenantal. It's marital. It's never going anywhere. It's there when you're good. It's there when you're not good. It's showing up because he is the kind of God who has steadfast, unstoppable, never-ending, always-and-forever love to quote a really good storybook Bible. New mercies come from a God who is endlessly merciful. That's his nature. Why is that good news? Because if you're Jeremiah walking through destruction, you're suddenly aware you don't deserve God's goodness. You're in a people and you're in a situation where what you probably deserve is the judgment that you see all around you. And yet, you call to mind, therefore you have hope. The nature of God, even in the midst of my suffering, is that he's good, that he's positively disposed toward me, that he likes me, that he's in covenant with me. And even when things are hard and even when I don't hold up my end of the bargain, he's holding up his. steadfast love of the Lord, these new mercies, they can come in the midst of difficulty. They come from a covenant-keeping God. And thirdly, they never stop. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. There have been many, many days, City of Lights, many, many days recently where I've gotten to the end of the day and gone, I got no more grace for the day. I got none. I got none. These people that I pastor or these people that I created, those are my children, have sucked it all out of me. Like little vampires of human happiness. Just, um, <clears throat> I'm sure your kids are great, though. Um, I, got, I, got, I, I, I get to the end of the day, and I'm like, I, I have nothing. And God says, yeah, but tomorrow I do. My mercy never stops, Adam. My grace never stops. My free, flowing river of living water never, ever, ever stops. So I wake up, and I have this habit. I don't look at my phone. Before my feet hit the floor, I tell God, thank you for seven things, one of which is, Thank you for new mercy. I got new mercy today. I used up all the mercy for yesterday. But there's a fresh supply today. It's never going to stop coming. I don't know what you're walking through. I don't know what you're, what you're dealing with, but I have great news for you. In this season of life, and particularly, and I'm just prophesying this over you, particularly as, as your church steps into a new season, you are walking from... Uh, one thing and into another. And I'm here to tell you, there is a fresh flow of mercy coming to this house. There is a fresh flow of God's grace and God's provision and God's blessing and God's presence and God's nearness and God's intimacy and God's power and God's passion and his saving power for your community and your campuses and your neighborhoods. There's new mercy coming. Yeah. 
in the morning. Fourth and finally, new mercy fuels hope for the future. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. There is something about walking with God through great moments and walking with God through not so great moments that allows you to constantly have hope, not in your moment, but in the God who's sovereign over the moment, who promises every morning new mercy, who promises every day that his faithfulness to you is not based on your faithfulness to him. And that he is coming with fresh grace. Therefore, you can have hope for the future. You can have hope as you look out a week from now, a year from now. City of Lights, you can have hope for the future of this church. Let me tell you, God's hand is on you. you got to have some hope. Because his mercies are new every morning. Do you realize that a week from now, he's, got, he's already got mercy waiting for you. Packaged, wrapped, waiting for next Tuesday at 7 a.m. For some of you early risers, 6 a.m. To college students, 1 p.m. Whenever you wake up. He's waiting for you in every moment. That's part of what it means to be God. He's not walking into the moment when you're walking into the moment. He's waiting for you in the moments you walk into. New mercy, my friend. Now, now maybe you're sitting there and listening to me and going, okay, pastor, like, thank you. Yes, I agree with you. But when you're in the middle of something challenging, it's actually kind of hard to have this perspective that God's going to be waiting for me with new mercy, that he's going to be helping me, that he's going to be with me and all of that, to which I say, oh, yeah, totally. You're totally right. In fact, there have been many times where I've walked into days and gone not looking for mercy. I'm still, I'm still mad that I don't have any left from yesterday. So how's it going to work, family? How's it going to work that we experience the new mercies of God every day, in every season, in every situation It can't be just that we have to employ good biblical advice to look for God's new mercies. You're right. It, it can't be that. It can't be that. See, this, this long story that we're compressing over these few weeks comes to a moment where there's one finally who steps into humanity who is the embodiment of the steadfast love of the Lord, who is the one who made the moments and waits for us in the moments. He stepped in to our moments. He embodied, he put on flesh, and he lived our same kind of life. He stepped through work, and he dealt with clients. Come on, he had a carpentry business. And one of that Ikea stuff, right? It wasn't just build your own. He built good furniture. <laughs> he walked with humans. He knew, knows what it's like to experience joy and fear and pain and poverty and plenty and laughter and abandonment. He knows what it's like to be misunderstood. He knows what it's like to have the dark night of the soul. He knows what it's like to cry so hard that you don't have tears left, so you just bleed. And yet there in the garden, when he, like Jeremiah, is sitting in Jerusalem, and he's looking around and seeing spiritually as a wasteland, 
I'm sure that good Jewish Jesus was meditating on Lamentations 3. And this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of my Father will never cease. His mercy will never come to an end. This I call to mind, therefore I have hope. As our Savior opened wide his arms and allowed his body to be torn apart. He didn't do so depressed. He did so, according to the book of Hebrews, for the joy set before him. He was looking past his persecution, past his haters, into the future, into something God was promising. Therefore, he could experience the scourging and the pain and the difficulty because he knew on the other side of that moment, there would be a future moment when a trumpet would sound and everything dead would come to life again. And before him would come one from every tribe and tongue and people and nation and everything wrong and sad and broken would come untrue and the world that he made to be good would be made good again. Mercy. Mercy, my friends. We don't have to pioneer the way of those who trust in God's new mercy. We just have to trust in the one who pioneered it for us. We just have to trust in the one who pioneered it for us. I said at the beginning of our time together, I want to rescue you from treating this book like a book of magic spells. I'm all about grabbing onto verses. I'm all about standing on Scripture. I'm all about even those of you who have it tattooed on your body in cool places. My wife won't let me do that. <clears throat> but this book is a book of books that tells us a story about God, and it's complicated. Oh, he's good. Sometimes life isn't. Sometimes it, sometimes it takes us on a hairpin turn. Sometimes we don't see the drop in elevation. Sometimes the diagnosis isn't what you hope. Sometimes the bank balance shows up different than what you'd expected. Sometimes your career doesn't go the way you want. Sometimes the people you thought would be your people end up abandoning you. Sometimes all kinds of things you don't expect to happen happen just like happened here in the book of Lamentations. But what I am here to tell you is that in those moments, you can trust that there is new mercy coming to you moment by moment, day by day. And when you trust in the God who gives new mercies. You can have hope through any situation. You can have hope through any kind of experience. I don't have time, but just trust me, I'm a man who has to practice what he preaches. Got to trust. God has new mercy. We wrapped up our time together, me and my friend who was walking through depression in my second office. And he kind of looked at me and he said, how is it that you don't walk around so sad and depressed all the time? And I said, oh, that's easy. Easter. Resurrection. So I can trust him. Easter. Resurrection. So I can trust him. You know what Jeremiah never got told? Why? You don't, you don't get a lot of God telling Jeremiah, okay, Jeremiah, here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm allowing this thing to happen to these people under this circumstance in this situation, so you can just trust me. Nope. God says, Jeremiah, once you go do these things, no one's going to listen to you. I'm a good God. Trust me. And you're like, uh, uh, oh, okay. We have something better than Jeremiah had. We're going to celebrate it in a few weeks. And this, y'all going to have to move the stage back and get a lot more chairs because 
you're going to invite your friends to celebrate the resurrection because the resurrection is more than an excuse to get a nice dress and a hat, my friends. The resurrection is more than an excuse to go out and have a great lunch after this event. The resurrection, the resurrection is the reason I know new mercies are coming because there was a morning that looked as if there would be no mercy coming, and it came. And because new mercy walked out of the tomb, new mercy promises that I will too. Therefore, whatever's difficult, whatever's challenging right now, I know that I know that I know that even though I don't know why, I know new mercy waits. New mercy waits. So maybe you're walking in here today and you were guilty of having a view of God that is sort of a tab A, slot B, like I insert church attendance, and then I pull the lever, and ding, 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 worship, and you get, ooh, I got three worship leaders, that means I get blessing, I'm going to grab that, and I hope maybe you could repent of that bad idea that will wreck your faith in your life. Maybe some of you in here, it's, it's going great. I'm so glad it's going great. That's mercy too. Praise God for it. Maybe you're walking in here and you're coming through a, a weird moment and you, you don't know what God's doing. Friend, neither do I. I just know that he's good while he's doing it. Yeah. Steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Great is your faithfulness. This I call to mind and therefore I have hope. My friends, when I look at your church and when I look at what you're about to step into, oh, I have a lot of hope. When I see a people who've walked through the challenge of being planted, I got hope. When I see people who walk through getting to know one another and reaching their friends, I'm so excited. I, I, I'm so grateful for the mercy that I've seen. When I, when I look at what God has done as I've walked closely with your pastor and his family, I am just so grateful to God Almighty for his mercy and his goodness and his pleasure and his blessing on this house. So I'm here to tell you, prophesy over you with every bit of apostolic power I got, whatever that means. New mercies come, and it is coming. New mercy is here, and it is coming. The sun is rising in this place, and I can't wait to see what God is going to do in this next season of time. I can't wait to see the stories of the people that you have connected to God, that you have ignited a passion for Jesus, a real one, not a flat one, not a lame one, but a real one. And I can't wait to see how when God in his fresh mercy does what he does through your house, this city gets all kinds of lit up. I can't wait to see that. I'm in for that. You in for that? Is that a vision you can connect to? Is that something you can get excited about? Because it's something I get excited about. Friends, it's the vision that I live for. It's the vision that I show up to work for. In my city of Boston, it's the reason I get on planes sometimes and go to other cities, and it is the reason that this church was planted, that City of Lights could see a people created, not who just show up and enjoy a Christian worship conference, come on, but a people who have been connected to the story of the Scriptures, connected to the God of the Scriptures, to the mercy of Jesus, who've been ignited by his grace and who will be instruments of lighting up this place for the glory of God. 
And so I'm encouraged. And so there are two things that I want to do today in our remaining time together. The first is, I want to pray for you all. I want to pray for you all, particularly if you're just, if you're in a moment right now where you're like, yeah, I don't know what God's doing either. Cool, join the club. I have a lot, a lot of degrees in the Bible, and I don't know any better than you. But I do know that he's good. Easter, resurrection, therefore I can trust him. If you're saying, I need to see some fresh mercy, I'd, just, I'd love to pray for you. You just lift your hand, open your hands like this, like you're going to receive something from God. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for my friends here. Lord, for a fresh outpouring of mercy, a fresh outpouring of your grace, a fresh outpouring of your power, a fresh outpouring of your closeness, God, that, that for my friends who, who maybe their perspective hasn't been quite right, they've, they've been saying, well, well, wait, I showed up to church and I tithed and then I had something difficult, Lord. I pray that you would give them a bigger and better and more beautiful picture of the God of the Bible. That they would call this to mind and therefore have hope that the fresh mercies of the, the mercy of the Lord is new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, Lord. I pray that that would be their declaration. Great is your faithfulness and that your faithfulness would wash over this house. That even this week in small groups and in conversation and coffees and dinners together, Lord, that the testimony would be, look what God has done. I can see his mercy. I can see his mercy. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we thank you. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget... You can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.